Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host. Hope you're having an excellent week. My week is going pretty good. No complaints. Uh, let's see, last week or so, we were talking about modesty and about how modesty is recognizing your real limits and being content to work within those limits, right? Well, I think I was lacking some modesty today because uh, I just thought I was going to get all these great things accomplished. I uh, intended to get a complex article written and published. I wanted to get this show written out and recorded. I wanted to get to the gym uh, by one o'clock in the afternoon. That didn't happen. And now uh, it's questionable whether I'll get to the gym at all today because I started writing the article that I wanted to get published, and uh, that took me, no joke, five and a half hours to write. So I just finished it here recently and got that published. What happens is when I write something, even after I've published it, I have to spend at least an hour afterwards fine-tuning some of the language in it, um, looking for mistakes, seeing if there are any ideas that I could more simply and more clearly explain. So, yeah, five and a half hours it took me to, to write that article and get it posted. And once I did, I realized that I hadn't eaten anything today. No breakfast, no coffee, no nothing. I, I jumped up this morning when I woke up. I got right to work. And so five and a half hours later, I, uh, I realized that I'm hungry. So I, I run out to uh, Wendy's, got myself a hamburger, at Wendy's, and I just got back, and uh, and here I am, ready to record this show. Now, before we get started, what I want to do is, um, if I've got any new listeners here today, I'd like to tell you that I've got a website full of free resources that you can make use of over at thelastsymptom.com. If you're finding my work useful and you'd like to support it, you can do that with a donation right there at thelastsymptom.com in the Donate Sponsor section of the site. And I should mention that I do offer my services as a consultant. You can call and talk to me on the telephone for an hour. Uh, Usually calls end up going over an hour, but I make myself available for that if that's something you'd like to do. That also can be scheduled right from thelastsymptom.com. Well, let's get into today's topic. What is the most disturbing aspect of borderline personality disorder? This is an article I wrote. It's on the website, but a lot of people uh, absorb information differently. So often what I'll do is when I write an article, then I just bring it right on over here to the podcast. 
and uh, present it to people in the in an audio format. So that's what I'm going to do with this one. What is the most disturbing aspect of borderline personality disorder? Well, I'm not only going to tell you the most disturbing aspect of having borderline personality disorder, but I'm also going to tell you a couple of related facts that you might find even more disturbing still. I, I know I do. But first, my credentials for anybody who's listening for the first time. I don't want you to get the idea that I'm simply guessing about these things. I had borderline personality disorder, unaware, for the first 35 years of my life, as powerfully as anybody has ever had it. After a major crisis, which resulted in me discovering that I not only had borderline personality disorder, but that I had lived with it for my entire life, I spent the next seven years becoming an authority on borderline personality disorder out of genuine necessity in the interest of eliminating it from my life once and for all. And this is something that I achieved. So my full-time job now is using the experience to help others now escape borderline personality disorder authentically for themselves. For anybody who has trouble understanding what I just said about my experience with borderline personality disorder. In practical terms, 35 years of direct experience plus seven years of intense analysis followed by the real measurable results of being authentically cured outweighs any doctorate degree on the planet. So, you know, we all get to choose which voices of authority we want to listen to. Who makes the most sense? So there's my credentials. And uh, I think that they are probably the best credentials you're going to find backing up this subject. In today's show, I'm going to address the primary question. What is the most disturbing thing about having borderline personality disorder? The, uh, the, probably the, uh, the wording, I guess, I'd like to use is the most bothersome thing. I'll also tell you related facts that are as disturbing or even more disturbing. What I say today is going to be controversial, not because it's inaccurate, but because it contradicts a lot of what the professional community as a group tells you. So the information in this show will be rejected or embraced depending on which group of thinker you fall into. If you're somebody, as I once was, who believes that the world has an ironclad process in place to ensure that only people who truly know what they're talking about get to enjoy positions of quote-unquote expertise, you might reject a lot of what I said today. On the other hand, if you're somebody who is approaching this subject from a place of genuine necessity and who has firsthand experience with these experts out there, you'll probably recognize pretty quickly the accurateness and value in what I say. The most disturbing part of living with borderline personality disorder is that it's our own parents, the very people who are solely responsible for ensuring 
our physical, mental, and emotional well-being. While we are innocent, helpless children, our own parents are also the very people who have damned us to lifetimes of immeasurable frustration, pain, and disorder. No matter how much they might have paid for our college educations, no matter how well they teach us to manage money, no matter how much they instill in us a love for God, no matter how much they might support our artistic endeavors, no matter how many luxurious vacations they take us on, no matter how often they get us out of tight jams, no matter how often they gave us money, no matter how far they went out of their way to help us in any situation, they failed at their most fundamentally important responsibility of all, to ensure our emotional well-being. When a little girl shows up to school with a black eye and she tells her teacher that her daddy did this to her, the blowback is swift and justified. When a little girl shows up to school and doubts her inherent worth as a human being, nothing at all happens. No alarm bells are sounded. Nobody's held accountable. To be perfectly honest, the teacher probably does not even notice or question a little girl doubting her inherent worth as a human being. A black eye fades and disappears in a few days. A child who lives with the belief that her feelings are inherently irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth, and that this describes her inherent nature too, this never goes away. Not ever. There is an exception. Future events might conspire against this girl to make her question and reevaluate some of the conclusions she formed long ago about the nature of fundamental aspects of life, as happened in my personal case. You see, we receive our emotional education directly from our emotional teachers. The cause of borderline personality disorder is not trauma, as you've been told. Nor is it genetics, that lazy favorite lie of the professional community. Rather, the cause of borderline personality disorder is the unhealthy attitudes of our emotional teachers, our parents. Whatever unhealthy attitudes they, they themselves have about the nature of fundamental things in life that we as human beings have to understand accurately in order to be able to enjoy genuine inner contentment, this is what they pass on to us. They pass their attitudes about these things on to us. The most common attitude or misperception that they pass on to us as children regarding the nature of feelings is that they're a bother. Feelings are irrelevant, you see. They don't matter. 
When you express your genuine feelings, they scoff. They laugh. They get angry. They dismiss them. Your feelings do not in any way positively affect their manner of dealing with you. Therefore, your feelings do not contain any inherent worth. If your feelings do not make sense to them, then the feelings are irrelevant. You see, in order for your feelings to matter, something external has to provide that worth. This is why you're observing as a child from their attitudes. If your feelings are inherently irrelevant, shameful, devoid of worth, it isn't long before you conclude that you yourself are also inherently irrelevant, shameful, devoid of worth. After all, your feelings are you. They're what make you, you. Now, think for a second of the bigger picture that I'm trying to paint for you here. The true horror is not in what is happening right now with the child, even though this is horrific enough. The true horror is in what this will translate to in the coming years. What have the child's own parents subjected their child to? Well, here are just a few of the things. Number one, an inability to experience genuine intimacy, the very foundation of healthy relationships. You see, intimacy involves the revealing of one's authentic inner self to another person. And those who are intensely ashamed of who they are cannot bring themselves to do this. Number two, an inability to love oneself. Instead, the only possibility these children have is to live with self-loathing or self-hate. Intense shame, you see. A person who believes they're devoid of worth does not love himself or herself as a natural result. Quite the opposite. Number three, lifetimes of believing they have no inherent worth. So you see, any sense of worth they get to enjoy will be superficial and fleeting. It'll depend on external factors like the job they have, the boyfriend or the girlfriend they have, the house they live in, the car they drive. What happens when a person who, uh, whose sense of worth depends on external things, what happens when they lose their job? <laughs> well, there goes their worth, right? What happens when the girlfriend breaks up with them? Huh? There goes their worth. What happens when the car they drive starts to get a little older? It's not brand new anymore. It's not drawn as much attention. People aren't oohing and aahing over it anymore. Well, <laughs> there goes your self-worth, right? Number four, these folks will be angry and frustrated all the time, and they'll not understand why. In short, the parents, the very people 
with the sole responsibility of caring for their children's physical, mental, and emotional needs have damned their own children to not only a black eye, but to an entire life of angst, frustration, failed relationships, and misery. Think about that. Think about that. An entire life of misery. Do these parents hate their children? Is, is that why they've brought this great curse upon them? Well, in some cases, there are evil parents. Such parents do exist. But overwhelmingly, in the greatest number of these situations, you know, even my personal situation, the parents genuinely care for their children. They care. But they lack the qualifications to teach others about life based on the incredibly unhealthy educations they themselves received. They can't teach accurately what they themselves understand inaccurately. Is this an excuse? And for, am I, for example, excusing my own parents? No, it's not an excuse, and no, I'm not excusing them. Matters of responsibility are not subject to what one knows or doesn't know. When we're responsible for something, what this means is that we could have known if only we had tried. The failure of a parent to meet a child's emotional needs is no different than if they had failed to meet a child's physical needs. Imagine this. A child shows up to school with his ribs showing because he's obviously not eaten in three weeks. How would that go over, do you think? The child would justifiably be removed from his parents' care. This is an example of physical abuse. Likewise, all parents, all parents, whether their children are living at home or not, if those children have borderline personality disorder, those parents are guilty of emotional abuse. And just in case you're trying to mentally find a way around that, let me tell you that emotional neglect is emotional abuse. They're not different things. Emotional neglect, the failure to provide, is no different than if you were abusing proactively. Ignorance on the part of the responsible party does not excuse the abuse. Because again, responsibility is based on what the responsible party is capable of, not on what they're able to do. For an in-depth conversation about the differences between capacity or capability and ability, please see my article titled, How Your Inability to Play the Fiddle Can Teach You What You're Capable Of. And you can find that article in the article library over at thelastsymptom.com. So by far, the most horrific aspect of borderline personality disorder, and I think about it often, is the breadth of abuse brought on innocent children by the very people who are responsible for caring for their physical, mental, and emotional needs. Think about it. These are not unfeeling strangers. <laughs> no, these are their very parents 
And what is their primary responsibility? What is their primary, what is the primary responsibility of all parents? Number one, I mean, it's at the top of the list. Their primary responsibility is to be their unwavering primary defenders against all forms of harm to make sure that their needs get met. That's their number one responsibility. So when a child ends up growing up with borderline personality disorder and becomes a grown adult with borderline personality disorder, lives until old age and dies with borderline personality disorder, the knowledge that their own parents did that to them is inexcusable. And inexcusable, by the way, means that there's nothing in the world that excuses it. Think about these children who will grow to old age and even death, never having experienced authentic inner contentment. And more horrific, even still, is that these children will grow up and have their own children and what sorts of emotional educations will they pass on? They'll pass on the same emotional educations. They can't teach what they don't know. And they've never been given an emotionally healthy education. I myself believe that I broke a cycle that had probably been going on in both sides of my family for many, many generations my family, when I was married to my ex-wife, she was a historian by profession. And being a historian, she was very interested in family trees. So she did my family tree and uh, found out, by the way, this is, you don't know you're this, but you're, you're talking to a celebrity. Now, everybody try to calm down while I tell you this. But I, I am directly related to Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, that's true. My ex-wife found that out. She couldn't believe it. As a historian, that was very exciting for her. Apparently, uh, old Abe and I, we share a, a great-great-great-grandfather or something like that. But anyway, old Abe and I, we're, we're related. My reason for, for bringing this up is that she went back so far that she found out that uh, my family was here in the United States as early as the early 1600s. She also got very excited about that because if you go out to Philadelphia, people will ask you where you're from. Well, <laughs> they're not asking where you come from. Like, they're not asking, or, did you just get here from West Virginia or whatever? They want to know where you're from from, where your people come from. That was a, <laughs> culturally, that was something new for me. And I figured out the reason why they do that. The reason why they do that is because everybody in those parts can trace their lineage back a two or three generations and know exactly that they're from England or they're from Scotland or they're from uh, Africa or, you know, wherever from. So when I got to Philadelphia and they asked me, hey, where are you from? I said, well, West Virginia. <laughs> no, no, no. Where are, you, where are you from? They wanted to know. They, they weren't interested in me. <laughs> they wanted to know, 
where my ancestors come from. Well, it turns out that I'm a Heinz 57. I'm pretty much mixed with everything. I'm just a mutt. But uh, I did have ancestors that come to the United States back in the early 1600s. And in that process of doing my family tree, my ex-wife uh, come up with newspaper articles and all kinds of stuff, uh, causes of death for all my family members. And it's not hard for me to imagine that even early in the 1600s, when my family come to the United States and then got into the Appalachian Hills and uh, started having children, and there we've been ever since, it's not hard for me to imagine that the distortions, the fundamental distortions that underlie borderline personality disorder, these misperceptions and misconceptions about the nature of feeling self and life, they probably were already cemented. So, by curing myself of borderline personality disorder, I believe that I broke a cycle that had probably been going on in both sides of my family for many, many generations. When I went to search for answers about what it was exactly that I was dealing with and went to reach out for help from the professionals, I encountered only half-interested professionals, quote-unquote, who did not seem to possess any true intuitive insight about what it is that they're supposed to understand so well. Their quote-unquote expertise seemed to have been superficially memorized from books or directly from their professors' mouths. In fact, I get the impression that most of the ones I dealt with spend their time more concerned about presenting an appearance of professionalism and authority and understanding, presenting the appearance of these things, more than they're actually concerned about being professional, about having genuine understanding, about truly, intuitively having insight about these things. You see what I'm saying? seems to me, and I, I had a lot of experience with them, it seems to me that most of them, when they get into this field, they're taught a certain way to sit, a certain way to talk to you, a certain way to react to what you say. They're, they're taught these superficial things, and their energy and their focus goes into all, goes, all goes into this rather than in them genuinely, intuitively understanding uh, the very conditions that they're supposed to be helping people with. I paid them ungodly amounts of money, and in return, I got nothing. I got nothing of value. For over two years, it went like this. And while interacting with a dozen different quote-unquote experts, they superficially dealt only with my symptoms. They never accurately, they get this, they never accurately diagnosed me with borderline personality disorder. Can you believe that? The simplest, the very simplest of all of their responsibilities, they could not even do that. 
their entire focus was on superficial tricks and approaches because, let me tell you, these things require infinitely less effort and still ensure signed checks. Finally, in the early spring of 2011, I encountered several exceptional psychologists in Scottsdale, Arizona. I often talk about them. And they provided me with practical answers and genuine insights. I have to emphasize that when I finally found answers, it was from professionals in the professional community. Because I rail against the professional community so often, people might mistakenly get the idea that I've got something against the professionals. I don't. I have something against the professional community as a group of people, as a group. I do, because they're incompetent. But within any incompetent group, you'll find very skilled, very insightful people. This is what happened with me. My, you know, I don't always feel good about highlighting the failures of the professional community, but because I know that there are a lot of hardworking, um, genuine people within that community. But when I ask myself, what is my primary objective by doing this work? My primary objective is to help people who are suffering. So I can spend my time worrying about how I'm going to make somebody in the professional community feel <laughs> by highlighting their failures and, and their, real, their real incompetence. But when I realize that my job, my, my objective is to help, is to truly help people who are suffering, that trumps my concern about hurting somebody's feelings in the professional community. People have to know that when you go to a therapist or you go to a psychologist or you go to a psychiatrist, that just because they have those titles and certificates, that doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. It doesn't mean you're getting a good psychologist just because you go to a psychologist. Just because you go to a psychologist and his going rate is $350 an hour does not mean that that's a good person that he knows how to help you, that the information that he's given you is accurate. It, it doesn't mean that, that at all. So you have to be very uh, discerning when you go looking for a therapist. And that, you know, that's really my message. You got to be discerning when you go searching for a therapist. I'm not saying don't go to therapists. What I'm trying to do is offset or counterbalance the lies and inconsistencies and misinformation that they, with much more authority and much power, more powerful voices, uh, are spreading in the world. So there has to be a counterbalance. People who are suffering, who don't need to suffer, need to have accurate information that they can go to instead. That's what my work is meant to provide. And in order to do that, I have to illustrate often how the professional community is failing you. It's nothing personal. So I took what I learned from uh, these very excellent, exceptional psychologists in Scottsdale, Arizona. 
I took what I learned from them in the course of only a handful of days, and then I built up on these insights for myself for the next seven years. Well, to be honest, by, the, by that time it was five years because I'd already wasted two years with uh, incompetence. I'm, I'm not kidding. I probably saw 14 or 15 different quote-unquote professionals in those two years. None of them accurately diagnosed them. None of them gave me any practical answers. None of them focused on the problem. They all focused on the symptoms superficially. And then I went to uh, Scottsdale, found a couple of legitimate uh, a couple of legitimately insightful people. I spent only a few days with them, and after a handful of days spent with those people, I took that information, and for the next five years, I built up on those insights. I knew that they were, knew what they were talking about as soon as they started talking. Finally, I managed to rid myself of borderline personality disorder once and for all, but, you know, it took five years after I found the accurate information and the people who really knew what they were talking about. I wasted two years. So what I find most horrific about borderline personality disorder, even today, well, especially today, that, uh, you know, I'm working very hard to help people myself, is that authentic recovery by people who are truly suffering but who don't need to continue suffering, their authentic recovery is consistently and never-endingly blocked by people who don't know what they're talking about, but who are celebrated as being people who know what they're talking about. The very people that society has in place and celebrates as being the authorities on the topic of borderline personality disorder are the very people blocking, misdirecting, interfering with people's opportunities to escape the disorder. I find that disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. These individuals have illusory, hollow credentials, you know, doctorates, hanging up on their wall saying that they know what they're talking about. And uh, because of this, you get misdirected and you waste years of your life to them to the point of disillusionment. Do you know what uh, disillusionment is? That's the point of no return. That's the point where you throw your hands up in the air and you give up because you've already been doing everything they've told you to do for five, six, ten years. And you're still dealing with the same stupid stuff that there's no need for you to still be dealing with. So there's absolutely no need for this. Borderline personality disorder is not unfixable. It's not difficult to escape, relatively speaking. I mean, it was difficult for me to escape it. But relatively speaking, there have been harder things in life than escaping borderline personality disorder. Learning Spanish, for example, was harder for me than escaping borderline personality disorder. Learning Spanish well definitely took more time. I definitely had to spend more time doing it. 
Definitely had to think harder on it. So there's no need for people to continue suffering with borderline personality disorder. It's not difficult to escape, relatively speaking. It took me seven years unnecessarily. It doesn't have to take you seven years. The number one factor complicating authentic recovery is misdirection by means of misinformation by people who are celebrated and looked up to as the authorities on the subject of borderline personality disorder. That is disgusting. So my work, the work that I do, is meant to be your escape from conflicting, erroneous misdirection. It's meant to be your number one source for accurate information on the subject of borderline personality disorder and emotional unhealth. So I encourage you to take the time, dedicate the energy to researching my work and to taking advantage of the many free resources that I provide and also the paid resources that I provide. Of course, you can do all that over at thelastsymptom.com. And I'm able to do this work mostly because of the donations I receive through the site. If that's something you'd like to do, I encourage you to do it. And uh, I appreciate every uh, cent that comes in. It allows me to uh, continue doing this work. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening to today's show. I look forward to uh, talking at you all next week, same place, same time. And here we are. We've reached the encouraging finale. When I was a kid, outhouses played a big part in my life. For those of you who aren't aware of what outhouses are, they're latrines or they're, you know, outdoor bathrooms that uh, typically you see them in the old Western movies that they'll have like a half moon carved into the door. Well, I tell you honestly and truly, 95% of the time when I went to the bathroom, it was in an outhouse. Very few people I knew had indoor plumbing. My grandpa's outhouse, I remember, uh, was always littered with old corn cobs instead of toilet paper. Guess what you did with corn cobs? That's right. They were a substitute for toilet paper. So you'd clean yourself with the dry corn cob and then toss it down the hole. <laughs> I'm not making that up. decided to lock my cousin Jared into the outhouse. <laughs> and it was a very hot and steamy summer day. <laughs> we left him there, and we all went down into the woods to play. 
And then one of us said, hey, wait a second. We left Jared in the outhouse, locked in the outhouse. (laughs) One of us needs to run back there and let him out. He crawled through the hole and out the bottom. (laughs) That is dedication to an escape. (laughs) 